Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. I wanted more grandeur in it. You know, I wanted to not sound like an old cassette tape. I wanted it to be like immersive, not just in the songwriting, but in the sound. So I think we did a really good job nailing that with still capturing like kind of a raw, almost punk energy at times. It's more sweeping and grand. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. Joining me this week is Luca Simarusti, drummer in Chicago-based heavy trio Luggage and leader of his solo black metal project, Annihilus. Both bands were creatively active in 2021 and released new material. Happiness is Luggage's fourth album, and Follow a Song from the Sky is the second Annihilus offering. We discuss these two albums on their own and in comparison, and cap off the conversation by highlighting some standout releases from 2021. Let's dive and get heavy. Lucas Simarusti, welcome to Heavy Hops. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me again. It's uh, always a good time. You had a busy year in 2021. You put out an album with Annihilus, also an album with Luggage. So for a year without a lot of live music, you found other ways to be productive with music, which is pretty phenomenal. I think maybe we can start with the Annihilus album. Recently, it was mentioned on Cult Nation's top 10 black metal albums of the year, which is a pretty awesome recognition. I think you've probably got a fan over there, it sounds like. Yeah, it seems like it, yeah. That, that, that was cool, because like, Cult Nation is like for the head, so it was like, oh, people who actually get this are, are appreciating it, so that was important to me. This is your second Annihilus album. Uh, we spoke about your first album before, and I'll put a link to that episode in the episode notes so that folks can jump into that conversation. Follow a Song from the Sky is the second album. And so I guess we can start by kind of looking at how it was sort of different from the debut, because there are some differences both in terms of where your lyrics are going and also in terms of it involving other musicians in some respect. So maybe start with the sort of changes in the creative process between Ganima and this one. I guess uh, like my thought process going into it was the first record was done like that was recorded. My friend and I in our practice space with like two microphones, his laptop. It was all mixed and recorded on GarageBand, like free app. I mixed it myself. I am not a mixing engineer. So it, and the, the final product is, is really cool. I'm really, really proud of that first record. I love it. But it was like a raw kind of lo-fi black metal record. And that was the goal. And I, I've met the goal and I'm, I'm really happy with it. But I knew that to do the second record, I was going to have to like do something totally different. So I, I went to an actual studio with a very talented engineer, let him record everything really well, let him mix it. So that was like a big difference was like kind of stepping up, like not just the fidelity, but the final product as a whole, like more cohesive, uh, bigger, more epic. And that kind of happened with like the songwriting process too. Like the first song I wrote for the, the record was uh, the track on the album called The Voice of Shai Halud. And that's kind of like, there's more going on than just like verse, chorus, verse. It's like, there's like a lot of atmosphere, a lot of 
dynamic shifts. And I kind of wrote that and I'm, I knew I'm like, okay, for the next record, I have to do something totally different. Like it all has to be in this vein. It has to be big. It has to be more moving. So but it was, it was absolutely intentional to like kind of shift the whole way the, the project operated. And when you say this vein, what do you kind of mean more specifically? Is that a reference to some of the change in dynamics that you were looking to build on? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted it to be more, uh, I wanted it to be like more introspective, more, I wanted more grandeur in it. You know, I wanted to, to not be like, to sound like an old cassette tape. I wanted it to be like immersive, not just in the songwriting, but in the sound. So I think we did a really good job nailing that with still capturing like a, like kind of a raw, almost punk energy at times. It's, it's still like, it's more sweeping and grand. I think that this album follow a song from the sky definitely is grand and it's like bold and in your face. And it's very different from the debut in terms of the dynamic. And also the song structure too is different. You follow a number of different sorts of regiments when it comes to how the songs are structured. And that gives you a lot more creativity in terms of what you can sort of play with and what production levers you can pull. Lyrics I wanted to jump to too, because on the first album, when we had you on the show, we talked a lot about superheroes and we talked a lot about comics and we talked about this different it was like a different type of escapism in some way, because we talked about black metal being this sort of like lyrically, traditionally dive into folklore and into sorts of different traditions and whatnot. And then for you to be diving into something of your own, that was your own type of tradition. And that was also escapist, maybe not be the best term, but it's the one I'm using right now to describe that. This album was a little different in some respects. Can you kind of outline how the lyrics were a little bit different? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're right. Uh, the first record was very much based on like science fiction and comics. Uh, a lot of the lyrics were taken directly from like a comic book page. You know, I'd kind of like appropriate, you know, phrases and interactions from comic panels into the songs. Um, and for this one, it was a very different process because I think it was because we were all going through it. You know, it was, this record was written and recorded entirely while things were like locked the fuck down, like in like the heart of COVID. Part of the reason I, I relied so heavily on fiction to piece together lyrics for the first record is I wasn't super confident in my ability to write lyrics. So this time around, I, you know, I had a, a lot more on my mind. I was able to, you know, write lyrics my own. And they were mostly about, you know, being isolated, being afraid, being sad uh, because the world was so strange. And, you know, I was, you know, stuck in the house and not doing anything other than, you know, writing these songs. Uh, so, yeah, it was it's they're more personal. They're more cathartic. They're uh, they're more real, I guess. With that being said, there are there are a few tunes on there that are about science fiction, but I can't completely abandon it. Yeah, I was going to say that would be a little out of character for you to abandon it entirely. But that is interesting about sort of gaining confidence in your own lyric writing and focusing on concepts already created in some respects and piecing your own idea of it together on the first album, but now drawing from within here. When did you kind of realize that you had the confidence in your own lyric writing to be able to take that step? I think it was, it wasn't just like the lyrics, writing the lyrics that that confidence came about. It was like every step of the way for this project was 
has been a learning experience. Like when I made the first demo, I wasn't sure that I was able, actually able to complete it. I remember I got into the practice space with my buddy who helped me record, you know, the full length. He helped me record the first few tapes I released too. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, I've never done this before. And like, he was, he was super supportive. And I remember when it came time to do the vocals, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, this is actually sounding really good. I'm like, I don't know if I know how to do this. I don't know if it's going to sound cool. And he was like, he like looked at me. He's like, just fucking do it. Just do it. And like, it took, it took a lot to like find it in myself to like figure out that vocal style and like do that in front of someone, you know? Uh, so I feel like every step of the way was me figuring out another element of it, of like making this kind of music, making music completely on my own with each tape. It was like that. The songs got a little different, a little bit bigger and better. So the writing lyrics just came along with that. It was like the last piece of the puzzle, I guess, uh, writing lyrics that were that personal at least. Uh, Cause you know, like I said, most of the other lyrics I'd written were about like it being cold outside or a comic book I read or like, you know, Thanos, you know, I was just kind of every release I'm finding myself in a different way and uh, trying to grow the project as I find these steps and gain this, this confidence to do it more. I imagine it's very, very hard to draw from personal experience and to write very personally and reflectively if you don't have the confidence in writing your own lyrics or writing lyrics in your own poetry or what have you, whatever that sort of self-expression mode is. That's very, very interesting that the lyrics came last, but at the same time, you sort of found this as another sort of angle of expression. And it's also, again, like you're sort of pushing some interesting boundaries of this style of music too because like i mentioned black metal is sometimes very impersonal and it's very much about a specific lore or a specific story or something that isn't about the musician and the musician really kind of becomes a reflection of that story in some way adding a personal side to it makes this more like the black album than a black metal album (laughs) yeah right (laughs) that's a good way of putting it yeah it's not like I, at at the end of the day though, like I, the goal is never to make it like, I don't want to be like the star of the show, you know, that that's, and that's part of what comes along with doing like a black metal project. Like, you know, it it, hard. I think a lot of people are anonymous and they do it because they don't want to be like, it does. They don't want to be about them. And at the end of the day, like, it's not completely about me. I want to, I want to make something that other people can like relate to and, get get stuck in, you know? That's interesting, sort of the tension between this type of music being something that we think of a lot as a solo project. When you think of a lot of the sort of luminaries of the genre, they are typically one or two people and they aren't really band endeavors in the same way. So it's interesting that you're kind of trying to walk a certain line with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh... It's like I said, the whole thing is a learning process and that's part of it too, like trying to figure out how to approach it as a personality on top of a project. Speaking of this not being a solo endeavor, you had a bunch of guest musicians. How did you feel about approaching people like Brian Case from Fax or Trevor Dubrov from Pelican or Dan from Race Trader? Like, how did you sort of come about finding the parts for these people? You can give us some examples. Yeah, that, like that goes along with me saying that I I wanted to do something bigger and better for the second record and there were things I wanted on there that I knew I couldn't do myself. My guitar skills are very limited. My vocal skills, I kind of can do one thing. You know, I don't know how to play. I don't know how to make cool sounds out of a synthesizer, you know, other than very basic, you know, keys. 
So I knew that there were things I wanted the record that I couldn't do. So I just kind of, I think a lot of it also came out of being alone for so many, for so many months, you know, not and hanging out with people so infrequently and not seeing a whole lot of people. So I, I was kind of like, well, here are people that can do what I want on here. So I, it was, it came from, you know, optimizing my incredibly talented friend's skills and also giving me a chance to like collaborate with people for the first time in a long time. And uh, it was, it was really cool too. It was super fun, like getting to hang out with people in the height of all the shit. And it was also really, really cool seeing like these really talented friends of mine, like do their own thing on the record. I, Cause for all of it, I'm just like, here's a song and I want a part here. Go for it. They all just, they just did it. And it was really, really cool. I imagine for them also like fun to work on something that's different from a lot of their projects, whether it's Facts or Pelican. I mean, this is a different world of heavy music from what these folks are involved in normally. Yeah. Trevor even told me, uh, he said that he was kind of like had, you know, with everything going on, he had kind of reached like a creative, like not like a writer's block, but he was just like, had like kind of stopped working on projects for a little while. And then I asked him to do it. He's like, he's like, it kind of got me out of a funk and like got me to like, writing songs again and get things going again. And so that was cool. It was, it was really cool to, you know, that it was beneficial to people who joined in, not just for me and for the record, but for their own playing. That was, that was a cool thing to hear. Speaking of collaboration, maybe a slightly more traditional setup. You also put out an album with luggage in 2021 called happiness. And I think seeing luggage live at the empty bottle was the first show that I had seen since February of 2020. And it was full of happiness. Was it your third luggage album or fourth luggage album? Yeah, it was the fourth one. Uh, yeah. And that was mentioned that show was like super, super fun. It, that was like, a lot of people's first time going to a show. And it was also during that nice little like three week era between vaccinations and Delta. So it was like masks off, like back to normal, like everyone just hanging. And it was a really, that was a really fun night. Uh, you know, having like people come up to you and they're like, that was the first show I saw in like nearly two years. Like it's kind of like a, a heavy thing. Like you go home, like, you know, like you think about like, shit, man, that person's going to remember that. Like years later when they talk about, this pandemic ending, they're like, that was the show that like got me back into going in shows. I'm like, damn, that's like a lot of responsibility. Like, I hope, <laughs> I hope it was good for that. You know, it's a good thing you were thinking about that after the show and not before it would have weighed expectations a little much. And I imagine it was challenging to come back and do your first show after, you know, having not played with these folks for a while. Yeah. The whole process of like writing and recording the record was kind of challenging too. Cause so there's only three of us and we're all like best friends. So we were essentially each other's COVID bubbles, you know, so we would hang out as much as you could hang out during, during COVID. So, and we would practice as much as we could, but things were still weird. You know, like Mike was going in the office throughout it all. And, you know, there'd be times when he'd be like, Hey guys, we had a COVID exposure at work. So like, then we just wouldn't see each other for a couple weeks. So it was, it was really, really healthy to have a chance to like work on music with others and like hang out and be creative together. But it was also like still scary because like everything was scary, you know? So it was, it was being able to like write that record was really nice, but it was, there were like a lot of 
ups and downs from it, um, but it came out really good and I'm really proud of it. As I recall, kind of from a conversation we had maybe at that show at The Empty Bottle, was that the recording occurred like very, very quickly. And it was like over one day that you tracked and put it all together. Is that so? Yeah, we recorded everything on one day and then we mixed it the following day. And that was that. Um, you know, we we work really fast. Uh, we're a super minimal band. So like, there's not a whole lot of moving parts when it comes to recording, you know, there's not a lot of overdubbing. We practice, we're, we're very practiced. Like we work really hard at like rehearsing. So nothing took a whole lot of takes. So we like, and we knew that going in, we, it was only six songs. So like we could, we can hammer this out in two days, but I think our original thought process is we would record it over two days and then like mix it later, but it just like fell into place super, super fast. So that was, it was actually cool kind of working at that, that like, brisk pace. It was, it was fun and exciting and kept it very lively. And it was, it was super cool. So just for perspective, the time that it took to record happiness versus the Annihilus record. Yeah. Okay. So happiness was six songs all performed in one day, mixed in one day. As far as the Annihilus record goes, I performed it all over three days, I think, but span spread over a couple weeks. And then uh, we did another day for friends to come in. And then Matt mixed it completely on his own. And that probably took him like a month because he put a lot of time into like sequencing and like blending things together. And, you know, like I said, the luggage record was there's a guitar track, a bass track and a drum set. And whereas on the Nihilus record, there was like a lot of layers of guitar. You know, there was synth. We did all sorts of vocal stuff. And you know, I don't want to give away his, tr his tricks, but like he was doing shit that I would have never thought of like, he was running my vocals just normal, but also running them through a processor that like down tuned them and made it sound like a, like a fucking like demon. And then he blended them. So like it was, there was like a lot of like clever trickery that he used to make it sound really big and really intense. And uh, so he took a lot of time with that. So it was, it was a much longer process than the six songs in the luggage record. And the luggage record came out on Riley Walker's Husky Pants label. How did he sort of emerge as a partner for that release? Riley's just been a, an old friend for a long time. And, uh, you know, he's, we've been very tightly connected, you know, over the years, musically played a lot of shows together with bands over the years. Um, but he's always been a big fan of luggage and Mike has toured with him playing guitar for a little while. And, just a just a good friend, and when his labels kind of started popping off and doing well, when we when we were recording it, we we're like, we should send this to Riley first. And like, you know, he doesn't do a whole lot of rock music on it, and this is kind of a straightforward like noise rock, like punk record. But we thought it would fit well, and he he did not hesitate. He jumped on it, and he's awesome. He's a he's a sweetheart, and he's really really dedicated to like putting out good shit and supporting good shit. So it was a really good home for it, and super fun to work with. Definitely a staple in the Chicago music community and a great person to work with. One of my favorite releases from last year was his collaborative work with Kikigaku Moyo. So I was pretty stoked to see his name kind of pop up in the liner notes associated with luggage as well. Yeah, his all his like music keeps getting better and better. Like he put out two records, like just under his name in 2021, and like that. Course and Fable record is like beautiful. It's like he's, he's a he's a talent. He's he's unstoppable, and he's only getting better, which is really exciting. Like it's it, he's always like you know I first met him when he was probably nineteen, and he was really good then. But watching him like mature and just get better and better is it's really exciting. 
let's sort of look forward into things that we're sort of looking forward to in 2022. And then we can jump into some of our favorite albums or albums that we wanted to highlight from 2021. Starting off, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to as far as whether it's a performer, whether it's as sort of an industry insider, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in 2022? Hmm, Things I'm looking forward to, I am actually not totally positive of like a lot of things coming out. I've I've like been trying to figure out like how to navigate like what's going to happen as far as like, cause vinyl delays are all fucked up and like tours are already getting canceled and stuff. So I'm like, it's like weird, like not knowing what to expect for, I'm, I'm really interested to see how bands start navigating the vinyl thing. Cause like for myself, for like both projects for luggage and Annihilus, like we're, we're trying to figure out like what our next steps are going to be as far as, writing and recording music. And I'm kind of like, is like, are we going to like try not to do vinyl? Or are we going to just try to do like CD singles type things to like have physical media out there? But I don't know if people are like stoked on CDs or not. Like it, it's, it's a really strange thing that we're trying to figure out and I don't know what to expect. Um, you know, cause we, we have ideas in the can that we want to move forward with, but like everything's so strange right now. I, I don't know what is going to come of any of it, you know, as far as, it being up physically. And that's sort of an interesting point on the vinyl delays. We can hold on that topic for a sec here. And I think labels and bands got into a practice of getting money for the pre-orders a couple months before those records came out. But the delays now are dictating a completely different type of waiting cycle where until the presses get caught up, you're looking at several months potentially. And so it's hard to ask people to part with money that far in advance. I mean, on tickets for shows, it's the same sort of thing. People forget. And so even though you're guaranteeing some type of deliverable, it's a little different from saying we know it's coming in two months, you know, versus eight months. And I've seen, uh, who was I looking at today? Gilead Media for some stuff that I would consider to be vinyl first stuff. Obviously they couldn't press. So they put onto compact discs and the presentation was very much like what you would expect from a vinyl album. And then there was some information about when the pre-orders would begin, but that's like a challenging ask for one kudos to them for doing it. But I mean, who has compact disc players? And then to the maintenance of that attention throughout that whole time is really challenging. Yeah, like I, I have a CD player on my stereo, but I have a lot of friends and family who don't. So yeah, it's, it's a strange thing. Uh, it's weird. Um, with that being said, you were asking about things I'm looking forward to and on the subject of vinyl being pressed. I saw on Twitter the other day that uh, Terrence from Locrian was showing off a, a new Locrian test pressing. So that's exciting. That's a band I love and whose records are always amazing. So that's a thing I'm looking forward to. Hopefully that exists physically soon. <laughs> I'm definitely excited for stuff that's been backlogged to make its way through. I'm excited for new plants to come online and hopefully more sort of suppliers for these bit parts that are a part of vinyl production to either come online or find their way into this so that the whole process isn't so specialized and that hopefully the machinery can get moving again. Because as things stand right now, it's really hard for the industry to catch up because the log just keeps getting bigger and bigger in comparison to how quickly handful of plants can actually press in North America. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Like, you know, uh, like my friends are in that band Meatwave and they, they self-released an EP this year while they were waiting to figure out the release for their next full length. And it was supposed to be in hand in July, I think. And like, it still hasn't been sent out. So that shit, like, that must be crushing. Like, I'm patient. You know, I understand things are weird, but that must be really crushing. Like, they played a record release show for it and didn't have records months ago, you know? So it's a weird, it's a weird thing. It, it's really frustrating and sad. And I hope, I hope like some rich person buys like a new, another factory or something to just like help. I don't know. It's, it's strange, especially being someone who makes music, like kind of not knowing what your next step is, is bizarre, you know? You're listening to Heavy Hops. We'll have more from Lucas Simarusti in a minute. There are a few things happening in the world of Heavy Hops and Scorch Tundra that I want to share. You can find tickets to Scorch Tundra Presents shows at scorchtundra.com slash tickets. Be sure you're in Chicago on Labor Day weekend 2022 to experience the next Scorch Tundra Festival. We've also created a crowdfunding source for all things Heavy Hops and Scorch Tundra. If you love what we do and want to support us, Find the donate link in the episode notes and give what you'd like. Giving any amount will grant you access to our Discord community and an opportunity to contribute to making this show and Scorched Tundra content the best it can be. Please also consider sharing this episode with the nerds in your life, rating us, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps others find us. Thanks for this moment, and back to our conversation with Luca Simarusti. How do you feel about cassettes as maybe not necessarily a replacement but as sort of another physical medium i think they're cool tapes are fun and they like you can do really cool things with the artwork and with like the actual you know the cases and the the tapes themselves like different designs and like color schemes and stuff and i think i have a bunch of tapes i still get tapes um but it's another thing i I don't know how many people have tape players other than like weirdos like me and you you know Another sort of topic that I've seen a lot on the internet and that is starting to be discussed in person when I'm out is sort of this idea of hipster black metal. When we think about sort of the politicization of science, and now we're talking about like politicization of art and music as well. Black metal has always been a genre that has had a certain political veneer, but now there's a lot of different political perspectives that are coming to the genre. I'm not necessarily looking for, obviously you can share where you or a nihilist fit on a spectrum, but more about like your sorts of observations of this as a fan and as someone that spends a lot of time looking at the industry. So it's uh, the reason I'm laughing is because when that cult nation list went up on Friday, um, on the, they made a Facebook post about it and like Facebook is just a wasteland. Like I very rarely look at it, uh, and no one should really look at it. But, uh, I looked, I did, I made the mistake of looking and, and on their post about that, the 10 best black metal records list, there was some dude just lighting up the comments, talking about how the whole list was bullshit, hipster, black metal. And like, I, like, I don't even think I know what that means. Like I remember when liturgy was popping, people were calling them, uh, hipster black metal like is hipster black metal just like not true i'm air quotes here not true or like not satanic enough or what what does it what does that mean is it like 
like, am I making hipster black metal? I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm definitely not putting you in a bucket, but I think that there's a certain aesthetic that people look for or imagine when it comes to black metal. And the label hipster, I'm not sure if it's an insinuation to black metal that is beyond the music in its rawest form, if it's an interpretation of sort of the visual presentation of the musicians, or if it's really like a reference to like red and anarchist black metal, or if it's like a political connotation as well. Those are the sorts of buckets that I imagine that this could kind of fall into. I have tried very hard to keep my music free of political thoughts. Like I have enough of those on my own. I don't need to, I don't need to like when I'm, I don't need to think about politics when I'm trying to have a good time. <laughs> Cause like thinking about politics and society usually leads to a bad time right now. So yeah, I don't know. I like it's, it's, I'm, I'm happy that like, I don't think I fit into any sort of a, you know, like politically charged subgenre. I don't think, but uh, you know, apparently the dude is unhappy about, people making hipster black metal and and I hope I'm not I'm not that either or in a pejorative sense and who's to know if one comment in a comment section is really reflective of a larger perspective as well. I think that the one thing that you can kind of gleam out of it that's a little interesting is that black metal has always sort of had this, I wouldn't say an issue, but there's something that people look at within it where they question, is there a separation between the person and the performer? I think that maybe if you can deduce this like hipster black metal idea and transpose it over that context, then what this person's saying is that there's a clear separation between the performer and the musician when it comes to red and anarchist black metal or non-right leaning or right heavy black metal. That's kind of how I interpret it because I think that black metal has always sort of been this genre that has had, frankly, like a troubled past when it comes to politics. And when it's not that because that extreme bar is set so far in one direction, then there's a sort of like counterweight that purists would see that has to be on the other end of the spectrum. And they may point to things like that talk tour being canceled and sort of the people who are, uh, you know, not inclined towards right-leaning views, calling out promoters that are working on these shows and things like that. I think it's all these sorts of things rolled together in that simple statement. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, uh, as far as like you saying, like separating the artist from the art with like problematic musicians and especially the past of like black men musicians, it was a thing in my younger days that like I was able to do, but as I've gotten older, it's like very difficult for me to enjoy things like you know, like a Burzum record or something like just knowing how backwards that dude's views are. And like on top of the fact that he's a murderer, the fact that he's like a complete like psycho bigot is a pretty makes like listening to music that before I was like super aware, I listen to it now. I'm like, it's kind of gross. Like knowing what these songs are probably about, you know? 
It is hard when you, for me as well, like when you sort of learn these facts about these people, it really like, it's unavoidable. You can't access Burzum's music without obtaining that knowledge at this point, just because of globalization and mass media. Maybe like in the 90s, you could have wandered into Metal Haven, picked up a record. Oh, none of it's in English. I don't have the internet. I don't know who this is oh, this shit's weird. You may accidentally come across that information, but I think today it's very hard. It adds another sort of layer to the complexity that some of these musicians have. I I think like there's another side to it as well, and that is you have musicians that are sort of responding to circumstances where they are being oppressed, and I think that in some respect, and it's contextual, so maybe with the black metal stuff in the 90s, you have people operating in a society that's extremely Christian and they feel right on sort of the brink of EU membership. And, you know, Norway was a very different place then than it is now. And so maybe there's a response of sort of kicking at the forces above you versus forces that you as the musician being the oppressor of beating someone up or using them as like a lyrical standpoint who are less empowered than you are or who are oppressed. And that would be where this like other side of the far right argument comes from. So I think like maybe these are some terms that can be thought of when we look at how the political components to these genres. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> with, with, with that all said, I, I'm, I try to make sure that my, all, all my projects are not political. <laughs> Let's talk about some albums that we like from 2021. You've got a really awesome list of a few. We've had you on the show before, I think, at the end of last year. We had a really fun conversation. So do you want to kind of talk through some of the albums that you wanted to highlight from 2021? Yeah, let me pull up my list here. Yeah, okay. So my my first favorite was like heart. My I had like a list of 10. I gave you the top five. And those are mostly like hard placements, but... You know, a little, a little mushy, a little nebulous, but hard number one is that Kowloon Walled City record. Uh, I know you had uh, Scott from the band on the show, which was a great episode, and it was really cool getting to hear him talk about like the process of making that album. That album is like, I feel like it was tailor made for me. It like covers all the bases of everything I really love. It's uh, I had the I had the advance for it probably over the summer. I've probably listened to that more than any other album this year. It's so good. So good. I thought so too. And getting to hear about the process behind it. So this is episode 68 of the podcast for those that are listening and want to jump into it. Just the whole sort of aesthetic presentation to it. And then the lyrical content and the way that the music sort of moved and the way that the role that silences sort of played in it. It was a very emotional record and it really conveyed in spite of how sort of simple the music really was. I mean, like when I hear that, I think of the same type of simplicity as a luggage record in some respects. Yeah, that's that's how actually, that's funny how I like found out about this record is Trevor worked on it for their publicity and he sent it to me. He's like, I feel like this band is Luggage's spiritual sister. And I listened to it. I'm like, this is everything I like. It, it sounds like Slint or Polvo if they were like a sludge metal band. It's brilliant. Moves me every time I hear it. Goosebumps and stuff. It's the real deal. Trevor also pitched me on it and I was aware of the band, but I was not aware of how much I needed that album in my life until I heard it. it it's true. Uh, number two, I had Turnstile Glow On, kind of a controversial band, but uh, they uh, that record is so good. It is just like, you know, we were talking about just now saying that that Kowloon record is 
really like emotional and dark and heavy, but Turnstile just like a fucking front to back blast of positive energy it just makes you feel good. Like on on those like dark COVID days, I'd throw that thing on and just be like, that's better, you know. <laughs> yeah, I felt like the same sort of giddiness listening to it as I felt like listening to pop punk as a teenager. Yeah, yeah. I'm I've I've loved Turnstile since the beginning. And uh, you know, I liked them when they sounded exactly like 311. I like them now when they're still kind of sound like 311, but a little different. Uh they're just killer live band. They seem like nice guys. And yeah, this new record is just front to back bangers. Um my third choice was that portrayal of guilt record Christfucker which is just so nasty. So good. Um, that's another band I was fortunate enough to catch live. And that was like a really cool show. Like they're like these young little weirdos from Texas that just shred. It's really cool. When did you uh, catch them live? I saw them with uniform a couple months ago. I think, I think it was in October. Yeah. They played at the bottle with uniform and body void. And it was just like kind of a brutal show front to back. It was really, really good. But Portrayal of Guilt was like super, super sick. That record has so many weird, strange, like production tricks that like get stuck in your head, like things you typically wouldn't hear in like a heavy record. Like, you know, uh, there's this one track on there called Dirge, where like they're doing blast beats and like black metal vocals over like weird, twangy, clean telecasters. And then at the end, they sample like the psycho strings, like they're they like sample that in the end of the song. It's so trippy and bizarre, but like so effective and really fucking punishing. It's so good. And they're coming back, I think, uh, early next year. And I will absolutely go see them again. I think they're playing Beat Kitchen next. Oh, cool. I will be there too. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, what, what else do I have here? Uh, my number four record was uh, Preserved in Torment by Mortiferum. Just like really pretty, intense. It's kind of pretty, but like it's almost catchy, but it's still pretty brutal, like uh, Death Doom. Just kind of like really, really atmospheric, really textured, but uh, just like a really powerful band. Uh, they have a singing drummer, which I find exciting as a drummer. <laughs> I can't imagine. like Yeah, definitely something that's not Absu to aspire to, right? Yeah, yeah. It, I, it's like crazy to think about like him doing these like death growls while playing like incredibly technical drums. It uh, seems like a lot of work. <laughs> Maybe not for you, not for the solo project. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't. I don't think I could pull that one off. Um, and yeah, th- then my number five choice was I, I mentioned the self-released EP from Meatwave Vol- Volcano Park, and that's just like Meatwave's like such an excellent band from day one. They've been so good, and uh, you know they're uh, they're the kind of band that just keeps getting better and better. You know, they're it's interesting. You know, they were really melodic when they first started. They still had like kind of a post-punk, post-hardcore sort of like dissonance, but as they've grown over the past like nearly ten years. Like they've gotten more into like kind of the noisy, dissonant, like repetitive aspect. So it's kind of cool watching them still still use like melody as like a tool, but you know, kind of repeat it to like a point where like it's like almost like a rec- broken record gets stuck in your head, like kind of hypnotic almost. Uh, so yeah, they're just getting better, and the new record is just like all bangers front to back. So those were my top five. I had some other ones, but. I don't know how much, how far you want me to get into it. (laughs) Yeah, you can throw uh, one or two more out there if you want. One more I'll throw out there is uh, this was kind of an outlier for me because, like, I'm not the biggest like Mike Patton fan, but I absolutely loved the newest Tomahawk record that came out earlier this year. That's like, I mean, Jesus Lizard and Helmet are two of my favorite bands. So you know, with those two dudes in the mix, 
it was bound to be good. But Patton sounds great on it. The songs are really fun and catchy and really cool, like incredible playing from like, you know, the band. So that, that was one that I like caught me by surprise with how much I loved it. I listened to that so much this year. A fantastic record. And also like nice to see Mike Patton pay some attention to that project. I think I saw that project when they were opening for like Tool years and years ago at the United Center. And I remember not being sure how I felt about it, but I know a little more about music now and I enjoy it. I think I chose about four or five to highlight. We've had about 13 or 14 different bands on the show throughout the year to talk about their albums that had come out this year. I didn't want to choose any of those because we already you know, gave a lot of airwaves to them. I did want to highlight two that I spoke about earlier this year that still kind of came through. And that was the new uh, Pupil Slicer album and the new Big Brave album as well. To me, that Pupil Slicer record, which was a debut, it's just like all the kinds of good things about calculating Infinity and Jane Doe that I really, really liked. And I kind of, I wouldn't say rediscovered Mathcore this year because I was always aware of it, but I think I found myself enjoying it a little bit more than I had in the past. And, you know, this album was definitely sort of there for me. I'm glad you mentioned Big Brave because that record is, was one of my favorites too. It's really, really beautiful and powerful. And on that subject, I have a friend who's starting a record label. He's putting out like, uh, he's starting to like roll out records for the beginning of 2022. But one of his first records is going to be the guitar player from Big Brave's solo record. And I heard a track from it today and it's really, really cool. It's just kind of like abstract solo guitar. And he's like, obviously he's a killer guitar player, but listening to like his, his take on like making kind of like a solo record is, I think it's gonna be a really, really good, good album. That's super exciting. I think Big Brave is like on top of their game right now in terms of lyric writing, in terms of sort of like the hugeness of the production. This album came out pretty early in the year. I think it was in like Q1, but it was enduring in terms of like being a favorite of mine throughout the year. And I'm looking forward to that's incredible news about that solo album. That's very, very exciting. I'll have to seek more information from you about that and maybe be offer that person opportunity on the show. Other side of the world here, a couple things from Sweden that caught me. The new Grand Cadaver album, I guess it's a debut. It's a band from, the members are from all over Sweden, but the vocalist is Mikael Stane, the vocalist of Dark Tranquility. And then the drummer is Daniel Lilliqvist, who was in Catatonia and also in Breach. But this album really sort of has the HM2 vibes. I think that there's like a really nice variety of tempo and there's also like enough space for all the musicians to kind of do their thing with a uh, like a really sort of good stock, like Stockholm death metal feel to it. And we don't always get to hear Mikael Stane focusing on his growling range because that's not really what Dark Tranquility does 100% of the time and not what we hear in his new project, The Halo Effect. So it's really nice to hear depth within, you know, what is really like a small part of what his actual range is. Cool. I'll have to check that one out. I One of, I, one of the first conversations you and I ever had, I think you were telling me about how much you love Breach. 
Oh man, we could do a short series on Breach. Yeah, I think fans of Luggage will definitely love Breach. One of the most underappreciated bands from Sweden. Also from that part of the world, the new Mile Lord record, Your Time to Shine, which came out, I think it was like in September or October. This to me sort of stood out as, you know, we were talking about like confidence in songwriting and confidence in your lyric writing as a musician and as a composer. And to me, each subsequent Mile Lord record has more and more of that and this album kind of continues to step them outside of this like doom box that is probably like a black hole for a lot of artists in terms of wanting to shed yourself out of like this thing that the media or that fans kind of cast you into and I think Your Time to Shine not only achieves that musically but also shows off a great deal of confidence and I'm looking forward to seeing them live at some point when they come back stateside because they are a phenomenal live band. Yeah, Monolord kicks ass. They're very good. One last one here, the Usta Lost record, which like literally just came out. I think it was like last week, like in early or mid-December before the glinting spell unvests. And this is a project, I think it's Will Scarsted, one of the Scarsted brothers from Yellow Eyes. And this album, I thought, was like very sort of like decadent in terms of the soundscapes. It has like a lot of dissonance in it. It's a very specific corner of black metal and it's a corner that Yellow Eyes is definitely in, but it's like further into this deep end of where like dissonance and sort of interesting sort of folk elements can kind of come together. It was really, uh, really enjoyable, I thought. And this was the one I was referencing to where like the compact disc looks a lot like a vinyl presentation. So hopefully this will get pressed because I know people will get pretty excited about it. Yeah, that crew, you know, of the Skarsgårds, all their shit's really good. Very talented folks. And then there were a couple things that I wanted to point out too. There's a band called Moloken that are from the north of Sweden. They have an EP that came out on the 21st of December. That's a day after we recorded this. So I'm looking forward to listening to it and I encourage folks to check it out. They played Scorched Tundra a number of years ago in Gothenburg and just like a really good sort of dark heavy band that has a lot of progressive elements but is on the doom spectrum somewhat and then a band I saw recently in Gothenburg when I was over there called Sarkater which is basically the greatest teenage metal show of all time it's led by the vocalist Matteo Tervonen who's the son of the crown guitarist Marco Tervonen and I mean I wanted to quit playing music even though I don't play music that's how good the these kids were like old school death metal attitude talent across the board. They did like a short release in 2019 and I am hopeful that they continue on into their twenties and thirties. <laughs> well, Luca, we talked about some of our favorite records, or some albums that stood out for us. And we talked about the luggage and Annihilus records. Do you kind of have any parting thoughts for the audience before we close up? I guess uh, one th is just like as far as those projects go, there there will be new tunes sooner than later from both those projects. Wheels are turning for new ideas and things. So looking forward to all that. And also I have a new band. I, I can't give too much information away, but it's sort of a super group of sorts of a bunch of a bunch of renowned hardcore and metal dudes from many years in the Chicago and otherwise scenes. And we're recording a demo like I'm recording my parts for the demo tomorrow night. So hopefully soon the world will know. I'll, I'll, I'm looking forward to shooting you the demo when it's done. It's, 
Sick. I will look forward to hearing it. And I look forward to hearing more about the project and the forthcoming Annihilus and luggage music. So sick. Luca, well, thank you so much for joining me on Heavy Hops. For sure. Always a good time. Thank you for having me again.